So we've been in this series called Meeting Jesus at the Feast. We have been going through the festivals, right? The seven Jewish festivals that God ordained Israel to keep, showing the prophetic nature of them, right? And out of all of that, there was a reason they did it. We, I mean, all of it points to Christ, right? In fact, everything points to Christ. We just need to get our heads wrapped around that. The problem that we have, and, and, and Janet addressed this a little bit this morning is, is, when she was talking about Bible study. By the way, if you're not here for Bible study early, you need to be here early. It's good stuff. What's that? There's donuts. But you got to get here early to get the donuts. And, and you get to watch her crack open a Diet Coke at 9-11 a.m. on the nose, except for this morning because she had a rough night last night is what she said. So anyway. But, but here's the thing. We have been talking about these for a reason. Everything points to Christ. Everything points to Christ. I mean, every little aspect of it. And there's a reason for that, is that he has laid out all of this stuff for us to look at, that we can see, and look at the timeline. The problem is in, in, in what we would call the Greek culture, which is what we are, whether we realize it or not, we have this influence. Is we are so full of head knowledge. We are trying to figure everything out. And so what we do is we take the Bible, and we stick it in this little box, which is called American. And in that American box, we read it through these lenses that we've been brought up on. And half the time, we don't know what verses are saying. We just assume that we do. And so we're like, oh, I know what that word means, so I'm not going to spend any more time looking it up or spending more time looking at it. And the problem with that is, is if you've assumed that you found the truth, then you'll never look past it. You just assume, oh, this must be what it means and all that it means. And as you've seen, not only through this series, but the previous series we did, the Emmaus Road, as you start getting into the Old Testament, when you begin to catch the context of what they were talking about and who they were talking to, then it begins to open your eyes. Because the thing we have to remember, that this is a book written by Jews to Jews. Okay? Now, it's written for us. Written to them, and that's important because we have to understand the culture. We have to understand what's going on, and these festivals are no different. All the little details that they are doing was fulfilled by Christ, especially you got the spring feast, you got the fall feast. But there was something more than that. This all comes out of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14. We're going to start here. It says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the night from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Remember the fourth day. Keep that in the back of your head. But... He created light, then he later, a couple days later, he creates a light source, okay? Because he is the light. He created light on this earth. Now, what, he puts it in the firmament, he's divided the day from the night, then it gets into the signs and seasons. This is where we get the word Moedim. I put this up here so you guys can look at this. This is when you get into these different Hebrew and Greek words. They have several different meanings, depending on the context and how it's written. Is how we determine what it is. But we get into this, it means a meeting, a place for meeting or assembly point, a point of time. And then you get into all this, feast, time, set, feast, seasons of area. Not talking about fall, winter, you know, any of that kind of stuff. It's talking about these times at which God has ordained that we meet with him and we see him in these. And so these aren't just things that I'm throwing out arbitrarily or that I am just making up. Do you know how many people I've talked through? I've been in ministry full time for the last almost 15 years, okay? And every time somebody reads it's like, yep, he put the sun up there so we know when it's winter. Do you need the sun to know when there's snow on the ground? No, 
There's no arguing. If there's snow on the ground, you know what season you're in, correct? If it's a million degrees and it's a million percent humidity, we know what season it is, right? It's summer. Now, given here in Missouri, sometimes you get all four of the seasons in the same day. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You get a snow tornado. I mean, it's just crazy around here. But be that as it may, yeah, be that as it may, we, 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 we know what it is. We don't need the sun to tell us that. It's how we revolve around the sun. But here's the thing. Here's something we need to understand, okay? If you ever sat through an astronomy class of any kind, what do they tell you? They say, oh, the sun is just a star, right? Is the sun a star? Well, not according to the Bible. Let's look at this again. He says in verse 16, then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. What are we talking about? We're talking about the sun, right? And then he said, he made the stars also. He's making a distinction. You know, what's interesting about our sun is that it happens to be perfectly placed where it is. It's incredibly precise and constant. Unlike stars, which have a lot of variableness to it and they can't understand. And scientists today are trying to figure out, why is our star so stable? It's unlike every other star out there. It's almost like somebody had this idea. It's like, hey, we need to make one of these things really, really perfect. That way it will give heat and light to the earth. What's amazing of the precision in it is that if we were one degree closer to it, we would burn up. If we were one degree further away from it, we'd freeze. So we happen to be at that exact perfect point to where this sun, separate from the stars, gives the perfect amount of heat and light. Coincidence, I know. But we're talking about the eclipse. Then we've got the moon. Now, the moon has a lot to do with the fact that, that it create our tides and the gravitational force and all of that. I'm going to try not to get too sciencey on you guys today and geek out too much. I'm going to do a little, so you've got to bear with it, okay? If you're going to take your nap, now's your chance. Wake up later for the good stuff, okay? Stan, not the whole service this time. That's all I ask. But the moon, if it was one degree closer, we would be completely flooded because it would, all that gravitational force would force the waters out of their banks, if you will, and would completely destroy everything. You move it away, we'd have no tides. I mean, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be a hot mess. But again, that's all coincidence. Surely enough, you know, there, there, there's no mind behind it. It was the Big Bang. Everything exploded. And hey, look, it's all perfect. You guys, the mathematical odds of us having an eclipse are ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So, let's go into a few facts about an eclipse, so you guys understand what we're dealing with, and then we're going to go into what God has to say about this. All right? Now, you have two different kinds of eclipse. You've got a solar eclipse, you've got a lunar eclipse, right? You can, and we're getting ready to go into a solar eclipse. Okay? The solar eclipse can only happen on a new moon. Remember what the new moon is? The new moon is where you can barely see it, if at all. The new moon has to do with which feast? The Feast of Trumpets. It's the day and hour which no one knows. Why do they call it that? Because you've got people that are standing around and they're looking for it because they don't know exactly when it's going to hit. It took two witnesses, those two witnesses see it. They go to the man in charge or the men in charge, typically back in the day it was the Sanhedrin, but they go to them and they say, okay, we've got two witnesses of the new moon. Blow the trumpets, the feast of trumpets have begun. They didn't know when it was going to start, but they were to be prepared for it. They had to do all this preparation stuff getting up to it. So they had to be prepared. Yeah, this is the new year. First day of the new year, okay? So you've got this going on. Now, a lunar eclipse only happens on a full moon. There's a difference, okay? Now, let's look at this picture here. You see the rotation of the moon around the earth. When it's at its closest point, it's what's called perigee. When it's at its furthest point away, it's called apogee, okay? 
There will not be a test, just so you know. Now, when we have this total eclipse that we're about to have, it is when the moon is in perigee. It's at its closest point to us. The moon does not go around the earth like a perfect circle. It's the shape of an egg. It's further away at different points. It's closer at different points. And at perigee, when it's at the closest point to the earth, is the only time that we can have a total eclipse. So not only does the earth have to be in the proper rotation of the sun, but that moon has to be at a precise point in front of the sun to block the sun's ray from the earth. Now, when you see this, there are times, and this, I'll show you the difference. Here's a couple of pictures. Here's an apogee. You see the size difference? The moon does not swell up. It's not retaining water. It is how close it is to the earth. It looks bigger. And you've noticed this before as you're driving. There are times you're driving through night and you're like, my goodness, that moon is massive. It's huge. Well, that means it's likely in perigee. Okay? So there's different things. Now let's look at these pictures. Here's a couple of different of the eclipse. You've got a, a partial eclipse. You've got a total eclipse. You've got the difference of what perigee and apogee looks like. You do not have a total eclipse of the heart. I had to go there. I'm sorry. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't resist. You knew it was coming, right? Like, it, it, Lord, I apologize. Okay, let's go on. So, yeah, there we go. We're stirring up that gift. That's what Janet was talking about this morning. I'm not sure if this is a gift and a curse. Here we go. But we talk about this. Remember, what did it say? These things are for signs and for seasons, right? Signs. Now, let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 20. It says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, but Greeks seek after wisdom. It's interesting that you brought that up this morning. She and I are usually really on par together. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, that's a stumbling block. And to the Greek, that's foolishness. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what do we see here? Remember, you're either a Jew or a Gentile. It's one or the other. The Greeks are considered Gentiles, therefore you and I would fall into that boat. The Jews seek a sign. But what are Greeks chasing after? Wisdom. we got to understand. we got to know what it means. We gotta, that, I mean, I'm telling you. You know, I've told you guys this before, but when I was a kid, I was very inquisitive. I drove my teachers nuts. I drove my parents nuts. I pretty much drove everybody nuts, right? Susan was there. She survived, okay? But, I mean, I was one of those guys that I wanted to understand how it works. So I grabbed the VCR and I took it apart. How does this thing play tape? You know what I found out? It's a lot easier to take something apart than put it back together. And that was back in the day where those things were quite expensive and it did not go well with my parents. But I had to understand. I wanted to understand it. But what is this sign? The Jews are seeking after a sign. Now, we in the charismatic church, we always think signs. What do we think? Signs, wonders, and miracles. The laying out of hands, the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead. That's what we always think. But is that specifically what it's talking about? Well, let's go to Mark chapter 8 and verse 11. It says, Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven testing him. The Pharisees were a thorn in the side of Jesus. They'd be a thorn in our side today. But this sign from heaven. What was the sun, moon, and stars? Therefore, signs. 
Are they in the heavens? Yes, I put them in the firmament, is what he says. So we've got a couple different things that are going on here. They're not, yes, of course, miracles can happen. Remember what Nicodemus, Nicodemus said to Jesus. He was one of these Pharisees. He goes to Jesus in John chapter 3, and he says, We know you're from God because nobody can do these things that you do except you be from God. What things is he talking about? The signs, wonders, and miracles. The, the laying on of hands. I mean, he's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. You don't do that on your own. So he knew he was from God, but he did not understand what was going on. But you've got two different things here in this word sign. You get in what are called constellations. Okay? You get into the stars. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. But you get into these stars. Now, we're afraid of these in the Christian world. Why are we afraid of them? Because some people are stupid enough to worship them. And because of that, they created your horoscopes, and you've got all these different things. Those things have been twisted for eons. But it, did God set those out to be used for a purpose? Well, next week you'll find out a little bit more about that. But certainly, they're for signs. But you get into another thing. It's called the gematria. Okay? Now, I've got a picture here. I want to show you what it is. This is the gematria. You're getting into the numerical system. Every letter in Hebrew has a numerical value of it. The Aleph being one, the Tav being 400, okay, and everything in between. So as, as an example, what is the mark of the beast? It's 666. Where does it come with that number? Is it getting a tattoo with three sixes on it? No. It is the adding up of the letters that were seen. So this is used in, in, by the Hebrews all the time. In fact, they say that we Westerners read our Bibles naked. Because we're missing out on this part. Because there is something interesting when you begin to look into this. Now, we're not going to go into a lot of details just yet on this, but we will go into a little bit more. But the sun and the moon are for the signs. The Jews ask for the signs. Some people worship the signs, right? Sun worshipers, moon worshipers, any other worshipers, things like that. So what does this all have to do? Well, here's what's interesting. Is that in order to get a total solar eclipse... You have to have the moon at the perfect position in front of the sun. This can only happen on planet Earth. No other planet in our solar system has the capability of this happening. The reason for that is the sun and the moon happen to be at the perfect distance away from each other. The moon is 400 times smaller than the sun. But the sun just so happens to be 400 times further away from the Earth than what the moon is. And so when those two things line up together they happen to fit very nicely. It's the only way it works. Now, what if one was 300 and one was 400? Would we have a total eclipse? No, we would not. It would not be possible. So again, it almost seems as if this was thought out ahead of time. It was planned. Who would have ever guessed that? Now, I showed you the Tav, right? This down here. Now, it has changed through the years, but you notice here it is the shape of a, uh, of a plus sign. It's actually more the shape of a cross. Um, it's changed today than how it was back in the day, and I'll show you that momentarily. But what's interesting, it's 400. Now, how far away is the moon from the Earth? you got 400 times, it's shorter, 400 times shorter than the sun. The sun is 400 times further away. You've got the Tav, which is the numerical value of 400. Coincidence? Perhaps. I'm not trying to sell you on an idea today. I'm not trying to say, oh, look at this. This is set in stone or anything. I'm just showing you some interesting stuff that seems to line up very well. Do you know what the, the letter Tav means when a Hebrew person looks at it? It means sign. Okay, well, that's interesting. We get into all of this. You've got the Aleph and the Tav. You've got the beginning and the end. Jesus said that, I am. You know, when they look at the Tav... Hebrew Christians will look at it and say that is the sign of Jesus on the cross. It was a sign of things to come. Now, they've changed the shape 
over the time over time is what I uh, was saying to you. I think I've got a picture of this. I do. This is what it is in modern Hebrew. But at the time of Ezekiel, that's what it looked like. Kind of looks like a cross, doesn't it? Kind of at an angle, italicized and whatnot. But it's there. It's the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's actually where we get our letter T. It comes from that. It means, as I said, a sign. So here you've got that everything, all of these things were signs created on the what day? Fourth day. It's got a numerical value of 400. You've got this total eclipse thing going on, which happens to be uh, the 400 times apart from each other and all of that. Again, is this all coincidence? Maybe, but remember what the rabbis say, that uh, coincidence is not a kosher word. I mean, it, it's interesting nonetheless. So, the sun is certainly a sign. Now, here's another interesting fact. The temperature of the sun, they say, is 5,778 Kelvin. When you take that and put it into the next Hebrew year, that's 2018. 5,778. We're in 5,777 right now. Now, is that a coincidence or is that a sign? Because you're probably wondering, where on earth are you going with all of this, right? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 4. Starting at verse 1, I think, but we'll, we'll get down to verse 4. It says, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, okay, so this is a repeated pattern, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Okay? He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now look at what just happened here. There's a lot of things that are going on here. you got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember, Pharisees were the ones that were in power at this time. During the time of the apostles, the Sadducees had taken over. The Pharisees are what you would call your intellectual group. Your Sadducees de de denied anything supernatural. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in resurrection. They did not believe in, in supernatural hearing, he uh, healing. Excuse me. And so he says to them, now you look up at the sky and you say, oh, it's red, so we're going to have foul weather. And then you look up at the sky and say, oh, it's red, so we're going to have nice weather. That's really what he's getting at. And he's saying, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're using what is ever convenient for you in that moment. And then he calls them hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? It is not somebody who just says one thing and does another. Somebody who is basically putting on a mask, portraying themselves as something that they are not. It is a word that was used uh, during like the times of plays and things. They used it in Shakespeare's time. Because you are putting on a mask and acting like somebody else. So it's not what we typically think it is. But then he says, you, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern what? The signs of the times. What is the signs of the time? The time of Christ's coming. The time of Christ's return. Remember, Jerusalem was judged. Because they did not recognize the sign of his coming when he was standing there. 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed. That is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Then it says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Who is the sign going to be given to? A wicked and perverse generation. Not the believers. The unbelievers. And it says, what is the sign that they'll be given? The sign of the prophet Jonah. So, what is the sign of the prophet Jonah? It's a great question. Now, we Christians, us Western minor, what do we always think of? Resurrection, right? But is that what a Hebrew mindset would have thought? The answer is no. It's not. It's a very Christian way of thinking, but it's not a Pharisaical way of thinking. 
Now let's think about Jonah for a moment. Now we all know Jonah in the well. We either know it from sitting through Sunday school back when we had the flannel boards and they would put them up. Right, Sue? We loved our flannel boards. Some of us got it through Veggie Tales. Okay, that's okay too. Some of us got it from other places, but the bottom line is this. God told Jonah, you need to go where? Where do you tell him to go? Nineveh, right. You're going to go there, and you are going to tell them that judgment is coming if you don't repent. And what did Jonah say? No, nope, not going, not interested. And basically, to cut the story short, God said, listen, you're going. You're either going on a boat, you're going in a fish, one way or another, you're going to Nineveh, Make whatever you want to do, but you're going to get there. He was very reluctant. They hated the Ninevites, hated them. He reluctantly will show up to the city, and he will give them a sermon. And what happens? They all convert. Now, I don't know about you, but it gives no deal. It's four chapters long. It's three of them dealing with this story, and one of him mad that they, con they converted. They repented. He was ticked off. Why? He hated them. He didn't want to go. Can you imagine the gusto that he walked in there? He probably said, all right, listen. Y'all are being dumb. You should probably change your way. Okay, I'm out of here. Like, okay, we'll do it. I mean, you don't put any emphasis into it. If, if, he didn't want to be there at all. He converts the entire city. He talks about how they repented. Now, let's look at this map of Nineveh. Here it is. Nineveh's up there. You see it? This is kind of, you know, the Arabia and all of that. you got the Mediterranean Sea. This is the Red Sea down here that you can't see. To give you an idea of where they are. Okay. Now today, Nineveh is called Mosul. That is modern-day Mosul. It's up here. It's in the nation of Iraq. Is Iraq a God-fearing country? Oh, no, it is not. It is most certainly not. This is Mosul. So when you think of, when you, you'll hear Mosul mentioned in the news. That is modern-day Nineveh. Now look at how much space Nineveh took up at this time. Go ahead to the next map. This was the area of Nineveh. So it took up a fair amount of space. It was a thriving kingdom. But here's what's interesting, is that during, in, in between 773 and 755 B.C., there was a guy named Asher Dan III. He was in charge of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh went through some rough times, okay? This is all before uh, Jonah gets there. They had a major plague it, in 765. It was so bad. You remember how we talk about how the kings would go out and they would come in? That wasn't just a Jewish thing. That was the they would go out to war, they would come back in. That plague was so bad the king stayed home. He couldn't get out because it was bad. It was wiping him out. This is followed by a civil war. There's this upheaval and then there's this civil war. Then another plague breaks out. They're having a rough time. Okay? So there's several major revolts. There's several plagues that happen. But in 763, there is a total eclipse that goes across Nineveh. It, we, we know this because they found, it's called the Bur-Sagal Eclipse. They have found um, these, these uh, Sumerian tablets. They put this on. Here's the eclipse. Here's the pattern. Now, here's Mosul right here. Remember, Nineveh covered this entire area. Now, I know it's kind of uh, fuzzy, but it was the Bur-Sagal Eclipse. NASA talks about this. It's one of the most famous eclipses in history. Uh, it's written down by several different people throughout time. And it happened on June 15, 763 B.C. It goes across the entire nation there. This happens two months before Jonah gets there. Now, think about this for a moment. You've got a lot of things going on. You've got all of this stuff happening. You've got this, this plague. You've got this major war. And you've got this sign. Now, the rabbis will say that a total eclipse is for the Gentile world. A lunar eclipse is for the Jewish world. And it usually is a sign of judgment. 
coming across a nation, is how they look at it. Now, they, they went there, so when Jonah shows up, what does he do? Hey, uh, you guys need to repent. Okay, we're in. They've just been, they've seen all of these bad things happen, and then this total eclipse. Now, we have an understanding of this now, of what it takes place. Do you think they did? They didn't have high-powered telescopes that they could look up into the skies and see these things. They didn't have rockets that could get them up to the moon and, and hang out there. I mean, they didn't have any of that stuff. So this was a major sign to this world. The sign of Jonah is interesting because it follows this eclipse. This is what they're talking about here. Now, a pharisaical mind would have picked up on this because in that day, this was history, right? This is what was taught. It's no different than us being taught about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and all these great men that fought for our country and all the different things that they did. It's the same thing there. This was history. The sun turned to darkness when Jesus was crucified. Do you think they talked about that? No, that was not an eclipse. That was supernatural. Eclipse lasts for a couple minutes. This lasts for a few hours. Okay? That was supernatural, totally different thing. But the sign of Jonah could include any of these, these different things, these plagues, these civil war. This, there was an earthquake as well, a major earthquake. There was certainly this solar eclipse. Interesting nonetheless. Now, then we get to the Ottoman Empire. Let's look at this one. Here's a map of the Ottoman Empire. All of this area covered that. We're talking about World War I. Now, they got started in the early, early, early 1300s. And they lasted until, I think it was 1922 or something like that. Now, they were extreme power up until the mid-1600s, and then it began to taper off. They attempted to go in. It's not, uh, there it is, Vienna. They tried to take over Vienna several times and failed. But they were attempting to. They were in extreme power. Now, August 21st, 1914 is what's interesting because this is during World War I. It's just a couple months in. On, on June 28th, Archduke Ferdinand is, was assassinated. That's really what kicked off World War I. But just, prior, or just after this, there happens to be a total eclipse that crosses Eastern Europe and the Ottoman Empire. Now, here's the thing. This is what I haven't told you. Is that this happened on the Hebrew calendar, on Elul 1. If you remember the month of Elul, what is the month of Elul? It's the month prior to when the fall feasts start with the Feast of Trumpets. It is a month of repentance. You get the month of repentance, Feast of Trumpets, 10 days of Oz, going into Yom Kippur, right? It's the Day of Atonement. You've got all this. this was, a, was this possibly a sign to them that they needed to repent? It's a good possibility. Oh, you know the other thing I told, didn't tell you? is that uh, when that, that, that eclipse went over and Jonah showed up, the day he showed up, a little one, same day. Interesting, okay? Now, if they understood the signs of God, they would have laid down their weapons and they would have moved on. November, 18th, uh, or November of 1918, the war, World War I started, it ends, and the Ottoman Empire is completely destroyed November 1st, 1922. It is done just a few years after this. Now, a lot of our Western culture comes out of some of the things that took place during World War I that we don't want to get into today. But here's where we're going, and here's what's interesting. This eclipse that we're about to go through is going to start here in Oregon, okay? Now, it is going to start in Oregon at 1716 UT time, Universal Transiting Time or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it stands for. That is the exact same time set in Jerusalem. On that day, you want to guess what day it starts at sundown in Jerusalem? Elul 1. Okay? Coincidence? Perhaps. 
It was always a time of the harvesting and the gathering of the crops. They would begin that, that fall season of bringing these in. As I said, Gentiles, the reason they say that, that there's always a, a, a sign of judgment on a, a Gentile nation is because how do they base their calendar? Off the sun. The Jews base it off the moon. So a lunar eclipse is always a sign of them. So Jonah delivers God's message to the Ninevites on Elul 1. You know what else happened on Elul 1? Moses had come down, destroyed the Ten Commandments because they were worshiping the golden calf. So as he goes back up the mountain to repent for the people on Elul 1. Jesus, after he was baptized by John the Baptist, went into the wilderness on Elul 1. Did Jesus need to repent? Nope. But the one who was going to bring the opportunity for repentance for the entire world went into the wilderness, and the wilderness is always representative of a world of sin. It's evil in the Bible. Elul is the month of repentance. Now, Elul of 2017, the way we look at it, is the very last month of the Hebrew calendar. The gematria for that is 5777. 777 is always looked at, and in the gematria, it is looked at as the year of completion. Because what are we talking about? We're talking about the signs of the times. When is Jesus coming back? That's what we're looking at. Now, both 2017 and 5077 on the Messianic you know, way they look at it have prophecies associated with them. There's a guy named Rabbi Judah Ben Samuel. He had a prophecy for this year that was written down 800 years ago. And I'm going to read this to you. It says, when the Ottomans conquered Jerusalem, they will rule over Jerusalem for eight jubilees. Those are 50-year groups. Afterwards, Jerusalem will become no man's land for one jubilee. And then in the ninth jubilee, it will once again come back into the possession of the Jewish nation, which would signify the beginning of the Messianic end times. Now, let's look at this carefully. That's a picture of him, I assume. When the Ottomans conquered Jerusalem, they will rule over Jerusalem for eight jubilees. You do the math. This happened 300 years after his death in 1517. Happens to coincide when the Turks conquered Jerusalem. It says, afterwards, Jerusalem will become no man's land for one jubilee, okay? 1917 to 1967, the British conquered the Turks, and the League of Nations took the mandate for the Holy Land of the British, making Jerusalem no man's land under international law. The third thing says, then in the ninth jubilee, it will once again come back into the possession of the Jewish nation, which would signify the beginning of the Messianic end time, 1967 to 2017. It was a six-day war where Israel retook Jerusalem. Again, are these all coincidences? Perhaps, perhaps, I'm not going to be dogmatic on it. I am certainly not a date setter by any stretch of the imagination, but I find it all very interesting. Now, I want to read you Daniel chapter 12 and verse 7. It says, Then I heard a man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the water, and when he held up his right hand and his left hand to the heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time, and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Okay? This time, times, and half a time. Everything is written in a way that the Hebrew mind would understand. Uh, this, this is kind of weird language for us, but this is how they did things. But there was a rabbi, Mir Halevi Horowitz, who prophesied about 5777 which is the year that we're, we're about to complete. What he did is he calculated this meaning as 700 multiplied by 3.5, or 2450. So he calculated the beginning of the exile from the first stage of the Babylonian exile, which began in the Hebrew calendar of 3327, which is 434 B.C. for us. 3327 is the Hebrew calendar, 434 B.C. for us. Then he added that 2,450 as a result of how he calculated the time, times, and half a time 
from the book of Daniel, which we just read, and arrived at the result of the Hebrew year in which the Messiah should arrive is 5777, which is the current year that we are in. Okay? It's interesting. Nonetheless. Now, I don't put a lot of stock in just Jewish prophecies or anything like that, but when they seem to make sense and they seem to, there's something there. Now, we'll see what happens. Could be nothing. So, there appears to be a marker at the sky at the end of 5777, beginning into the new year of 5778 in the Jewish calendar, which would be this total eclipse. It is crossing the entire nation. On September 23rd, and we're going to talk about this in two weeks, there's going to be a sign that seems to line up very nicely with Revelation chapter 12 and what's going on there. It's just 33 days before that, we've got this thing going on. And then after this, you've got seven years from today that there will be another eclipse. Total eclipse only going across the U.S. Now, I want to show you some stuff. So as I said, the sun is always assigned to the Gentile, referring to the nation. The moon is always assigned to the Jews. And in their mindset, a solar eclipse is a warning of judgment on the Gentiles. And listen, folks, America is due for a judgment. The way we have acted, the way we've gotten away from God, the things that we are doing. I mean, God abhors half of what we do. It's so bad. Billy Graham once said that if God doesn't at some point soon judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we are on that path. We are no longer a God-fearing nation. There are God-fearers in there. Now, I'm not saying anything specific is going to happen on this day. What I'm saying is that it should open our eyes. And this is a time of repentance. And you and I need to intercede for our nation. We should be doing that anyway, but here we go. So, what's coming next? The last time there was a solar eclipse across the entire U.S. was on June 8th, 1918. So we look at this, what might be coming? What are some patterns there here that we could possibly look at? Again, I don't want this doom and gloom. I don't want you freaking out. I don't want you to think I'm calling these things, you know, as if they're going to happen. But on, in 1918, there uh, was a flu pandemic in the U.S. 675,000 people cross, or died at worldwide, 50 million, Okay. You know what we call a pandemic? They call a plague in the Bible. Now, it could just be interesting, but you know what's funny is patterns in history are prophecy. Remember what I said last week? Is that we always, in our mindset, the way we think, we think of prophecy and fulfillment, prophecy and full fulfillment. But the Hebrews look at it from a series of patterns, the already but not yet idea that, yes, this has been fulfilled here, but there's a pattern that we can follow. Those festivals is a pattern that we follow. There's several things that follow a distinct pattern. Okay, another thing that we look at, look at this earthquake map here. Now, they've recently discovered here, they call this the New Madrid Zone. All right, it is a hotbed of seismic activity, hotbed. Now, look what state that's going over, the one we're in. Now, luckily for us, we're in the opposite corner. Praise the Lord, right? We, ain't, we don't want nothing to do with that. I can promise you if that thing goes off, we will feel it, and they will be selling T-shirts that said, I survived the earthquake, right? Because we're Americans, we always find a way to make a buck. It's like people, we were talking this morning, people are selling those little glasses that we just gave you for free for 100 bucks a pair. So if you feel so obliged, please feel free. We'll take it. You know, we're, we're good. <laughs> but this is the earthquake map, all right? And you see all the seismic, we know about the seismic activity over there. But look at this one, this FEMA map, okay? You see the, this is overlaid with the path of the eclipse that's about to happen. This is their, 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 it's superimposed there, but this is their earthquake damage map. You see it's called the New Madrid Zone here. And it happens to go in from Oregon, and it's going right across that New Madrid Zone. Interesting, okay, that it happens to go across that. Could that mean something? Earthquake was a sign. It got Nineveh's attention, all right? Well, as I said, there's another eclipse that is coming in 2024, okay? And it's going to 
cross, it's going to go from south to north, it's going to cross the U.S. again, and again, this is the only nation that is crossing in seven years. Now, look at this X, and look at the next picture. I've kind of overlaid this as best I can. Look where that X hits. It's interesting. What's very interesting is this is right in the area of St. Louis. Okay? Now, St. Louis, half of it is in the zone, and half of it is not. The southern part's in the, the, the total path of totality is what they're calling it, but the upper half is not. And so, but when it comes back again, it's going to cross right across St. Louis once again. It's almost like X marks the spot, okay? It's this bullseye right over this new Madrid seismic zone. Now, is that a sign of, the, is there going to be massive earthquakes? Possibly. There's a verse in Isaiah that talks about how this great nation and this, this, we talk about, we call it the mystery Babylon. And some have speculated that the U.S. could be this mystery Babylon in the end times that will be destroyed. But in Isaiah, there's a verse that talks about the land is divided by the rivers. It's divided into three. Well, what corresponds, and I didn't put a map up of this, but what corresponds right in this area, is you've got the Mississippi River and the Ohio River, which chunks the nation into three parts. Okay? I don't know if there's anything to that. It could be. But here's the thing. They call St. Louis what? The gateway city, the path to the, uh, uh, the Midwest, essentially. Now, you want to take a guess on what day this is falling on? Nissan 1. Nissan one, right? The beginning, Passover, okay? Happens to fall on these feast days. Now, a coincidence, remember a couple years ago, they, we had four blood moons. Those were always a sign of something, and they all fell on those Hebrew uh, festivals, same days. Again, that's not a coincidence. You know, did that mean anything specific? I don't know. But here's another thing that you may not know. In southern Illinois, there's a city called Cairo. Southern Illinois is known as Egypt. It's, they call it Cairo, whatever but what was Egypt in the Bible? Evil. It represented, they were the enslaving of the Israelites. God freed the people from them. You guys see what I'm, I'm putting down here? I mean, I, it's just stuff that's interesting that I think that we should know. So you've got 8.21.17 as the first one through 8.24, which is what? It's a seven-year countdown. Okay. <laughs> He's been through Cairo, Illinois. He didn't want to go back. So, and then you've got the, the dates that coincide with the first of Elul and the first of Nisan. So, there are some that are saying there's going to be a major earthquake somewhere in this time frame. There's going to be major plagues, something like that. I'm not about to do any of that kind of stuff. I don't have any idea. But the bottom line is this. We are supposed to be looking for the signs in the heavens to be prepared when Jesus is going to return. We should be fervently expecting the rapture at any moment. They have been expecting it since he left the first time. Every generation has been thinking they were the last generation. We have writings from the 1400s that say every prophecy that needed to be fulfilled for Jesus' return has been fulfilled. We think in the next 40 years he'll be here. You can do quick math, but it's been a little longer than 40 years. Okay? In the 1800s, we have the same thing. We should be expecting the rapture. Romans chapter 10 and verse 11 says, And do this, knowing the time." that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We got to wake up, folks. If you take nothing else away, let's just call all of these coincidences, okay? Let's just say that they are. We need to wake up. If you do not spend every single day praying for this nation, that they will bow their knee before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. If you are not actively engaged in reaching the lost, 
then you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. These are the things that Jesus said we should be doing. Okay? Let me tell you one more thing. This is going to be the first time that the uh, total eclipse is going across the U.S. only since 1776. Now, 1776, what year was that? The Declaration of Independence. Happened on July 4th. You know what day that is on the Hebrew calendar? The 17th of Tammuz. You know what else happened on this, that day? It was the day that Moses came down and found them worshiping the golden calf. The same, same time frame. This is the first time a total eclipse went over the entire U.S. in over 100 years. And that date that it happened, August 21st, 1776. I mean, it was, it was like you've got all these different things that are lining up. July 4th is when they signed the Declaration of Independence. It was August 21st. Guys, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I'm not trying to be scary. I'm not even going to say anything is going to happen because we get eclipses all the time. But when they seem to line up very nicely with that Hebrew calendar, it kind of it, it wakes me up a little bit. It makes me begin to question. The bottom line is this. We need to wake up. We need to get active. We need to be looking for the signs in the heavens. So tomorrow, don't look at the sign in the heaven. Just know what's going on. Wear your glasses, okay? You don't want your skin to melt off like in the movie. It'd be bad. We'll lay hands on you. Well, we'll pray for you. I don't know if we'll lay hands on you. That'd be kind of gross. But uh, the bottom line is, guys, we gotta get, we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. Now, next week, we're going to talk about these constellations, what they are. The, the true names and stuff like that, I don't want this to get weird. I don't, want, I don't need emails or phone calls saying, I can't believe you're teaching this stuff. All I want you to know is God is God's stuff. He laid it out. He created it. He gets to name it whatever he wants to name it. So just because it's gotten taken and, and messed up doesn't mean we shouldn't know anything about it. 